Hello, and welcome to The Everyday Magic. This is a podcast exploring the ways we make meaning of our days. I'm your host, Jordan Medina. I spend my days teaching all ages yoga, studying to become a yoga therapist, mothering two little critters in Austin, Texas, and generally just pondering life's questions, both big and small. Here you will find conversations with fellow creatives, artists, teachers, and friends about their work in the world, as well as my own occasional musings about where I'm finding the magic amidst the everyday. I can't wait for you to listen. Okay, so today I would love to welcome Jenny Arona onto the podcast. Jenny is a yoga therapist as well as an Ayurvedic consultant in Austin, Texas. She's also on faculty for my yoga therapy program and is a personal mentor to me with Practice Yoga Austin School of Yoga Therapy. I cannot wait for her to share her wisdom with us today all about Ayurveda. So Jenny, please tell us about who you are and your work in the world. Sure. Uh, my name is Jenny. Um, a lot of people know me by Jenny O because I've been in Austin for a while. Um, and I'm currently, um, I currently work for Ascension Seton Behavioral Hospital as well as Seton Shoal Creek. And I work inpatient and outpatient. And I also have clients of my own through um, Corazon Yoga. And um, it's, you know, it's really this work that I do has really come through my own experience of working through trauma and working through that particular lens through Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. Um, Ayurveda really made sense to me very early on because, um, you know, when you're trying to shift traumas, when you're trying to shift any kind of like pattern or, or habit, it's really helpful to have opposite things come in. And when I first started studying Ayurveda, that really, that really just brought it home for me. And, you know, that you can affect your state of mind through these different maha uttas or, you know, elements, because we're all made up of these elements. And Mm -hmm. um, so that's a little, that's a little bit about what I do. I also do um, some shamanic healing and, um, you know, because I kind of have one foot in both worlds so to speak yeah tell us a little bit about that if you don't mind yeah yeah it's um you know this idea of shamanic healing has always again been one of my loves and it it's really about setting intention and having sound and Mm -hmm. that sound can also help shift patterns and shift lenses on people and also move people from one state to another and so um you know, if if you're doing a private um, session with me, depending on where the client is, you will get a little Ayurveda, a little yoga therapy, and possibly a little shamanic healing. Um, it's it's really been a part of my background just growing up mm. since I was a little kid, so I feel very comfortable with it. Yeah, and, um, that's why I say like I I kind of have one one foot in this yoga therapy world and another foot in this shamanic healing world. And I honestly, I think they work pretty well for me. They kind of come together really nicely. I think that's beautiful. I think there is a, you know, I think there is often a lot of overlap with different things, especially when it, you know, the more I learn about yoga philosophy and being, you know, obviously not raised in it and it's not, (laughs) it's not something I necessarily knew about growing up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
there's so many different schools of thought in this world about everything, but I do find there's often these like little kernels of truth that are just echoed over and over again, um, you know, in each of these modalities. And I think it's really, that's part of what I think is so fascinating. It's one of my like biggest, deepest interests. And so today, I know we are going to talk about Ayurveda, and I really want to deep dive into this topic. It's something that holds a ton of interest for me personally, um, and I get a lot of questions from my friends who aren't quite sure, like, what is Ayurveda? And so, Jenny, firstly, can you tell us, like, what is Ayurveda? Sure. Um, yeah, I can give you, um, you know, I can give you my little standard elevator pitch, and then we can go from there. Yeah. Um, Ayurveda is, if you break it down, it is the science of life. Right. So in in Sanskrit, that's how it's translated, the science of life. It is also a sister science of Hatha Yoga. So this is something that has been practiced in India for centuries. You know, there there is a thought that it came down from the Vedas, that it is part of the Vedas. And that's why there's such a close connection between this idea of yoga and the Ayurveda. And um, so that's, you know, that's the definition of, of the word Ayurveda. For me, what Ayurveda is, it's really incorporating this idea of qualities, right? So, you know, if you look at the three different doshas, there's vata, there's pitta, and there's kapha. And each one of those doshas has their own qualities, right? So vata is like dry. Pitta is hot and oily. Kappa is cold and dense. And if you're trying to find balance in someone, then you bring in qualities that are of the opposite type. And you can do that just a little bit at a time, and it starts to make a difference in people's lives. And it's also very helpful to think about qualities this way because the Mahabhutas, the you know, the five elements that I mentioned, um, air, um, space, fire, water, and earth, those qualities are everywhere in our world every single day. They're in the foods we eat, the people we speak to, the clothing that we wear, the temperatures that we're in, you know, meaning like hot or cold. Mm. Um, and, you know, even our workplace a little bit. And so, you know, if you think about this idea of qualities, it really becomes easier, I think, as opposed to looking at something like Ayurveda. Of, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to change how I eat or sleep or think. If you keep it on that line of qualities, I think it makes it a lot easier to digest for most people, you know, because uh, we're householders. We don't have a ton of time. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Jenny always says little, little, and that has really just stuck with me. I think we we may be getting it tattooed on our bodies, some of us in the yoga therapy program, because it's just so profound. And it makes a lot of sense through this lens of yoga therapy as well, because this it's this is one thing that I think is actually so different from what we're taught in the West, which is that like our cravings are typically pointing to like typically in the West, it's this idea that your cravings point to these in, you know, you're insufficient in something. If you're craving X, maybe you're low in salt. Like there's these ideas. And one thing that I think is so different in the yogic philosophy, as well as Ayurveda is this idea of cultivating opposites and sort of the thing that you're craving is not what you're really needing. And it, it honestly makes perfect sense. Like, why would you need, um, 
And and why would you need, you know, coffee if you're already amped up, if you're already like stressed out, if you're already strung out, like maybe you need to cultivate peace and calmness. And it's really been interesting, but it is so much, I think you're right, like easier said than done, especially if you're somebody who's grown up in the West, you know, you, it's not going to be this like overnight change, but little, little, when you implement these you know, little changes, then you start to notice how good you feel. You get drawn further into balance, which is sort of the point, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's just such a beautiful philosophy. And it's really interesting because I'm noticing culturally, there's a huge chat right now about um, Chinese medicine. I'm just really noticing it's like rising up and people are becoming very interested. Lots of people getting acupuncture. And I was really curious because I was like, oh, that also has some of the elemental things going on. And, you know, in looking at the foods after I was postpartum, actually, I did a little bit of this. I read this book that was um, rooted in Chinese philosophy, and it had a lot of similar concepts in terms of like warming and bringing the body back together. And, um, and I thought that was really interesting. So I went to see like, did it maybe get its roots in Ayurveda? And it did, which I thought was so cool um, that Chinese yeah. medicine kind of came from that. And so I'm like, oh, I wonder if Ayurveda is like the next big wave of cultural shift, but um, it'd be great if it is. And, <laughs> um, but I love this idea. And so, you know, as you mentioned, like Ayurveda's relationship to yoga is that it's a sister science, but what are ways that you can incorporate Ayurveda into like your yoga practice? Yeah, so a really good way to look at that is, you know, I think it comes back also to that idea, um, kind of mostly in a Western idea. And I say that simply because, you know, yoga really came from India, right? And mm -hmm. so it, if we look at it, you know, the Western world has a tendency to look at yoga sometimes as a form of exercise, right? Mm -hmm. Where I'm going to get out there and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get me a good sweat in this hot yoga class and then that's going to be great for me. But if you're a pitta dosha and you're doing a yoga class in 110 degrees, you're going to be very angry when you leave that class. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in Austin and you're going anywhere that's 110 degrees, I don't think that that's in your best interest right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. So looking at your yoga practice and looking at your dosha, right, so that you do something that's compatible for your dosha. Right. It's it's um, it's the same way that we look at, at cravings. You know, if we're craving something, it's because it's an indicator that something is, is, is out of balance. Right. And so with yoga, it can be the same thing. You know, if you're falling asleep during a restorative practice, then possibly there's some kapha in your body and maybe you need a little more active practice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so these, again, it goes back to that idea of quality, right? So I think, I think that's one of the best ways to incorporate Ayurveda into a hatha or into a yoga program. Um, and then also this idea of finding um, a dhinyachadi or a daily routine. Yes. Oh, it's, that's my like... I think it's my life obsession, if I'm honest. Like, I really am deeply obsessed with this concept of the Dinacharya, um, probably because I have OCD and tend to ritualize anyway. And so it really feeds into that. But I do find that when I focus on that, it really takes away some of my tendencies throughout the day with my OCD because I kind of can pacify some of that by really having this grounding ritual that it, that actually does something good for me instead of just like succumbing to rituals that don't. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting that as a culture, I also feel there is a deep obsession with daily rituals. Like if you've ever popped on YouTube, it's what I eat in a day. It's what I do in the morning and my nightly routine. And people do have this uh, yearning to kind of mm-hmm. ground themselves with these daily rituals, be it in the morning or at night. Um, I think a traditional dinacharya, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is in the morning. Um, but it's Ayurveda has really, it has all of these beautiful elements that aren't just, you know, your yoga, your asana practice, I should say. Um, they have so many other, other parts to it. And so many of those I really have implemented into my life. Um, tongue scraping and, Mm -hmm. you know, just even drinking, I don't drink really cold water anymore, which that's a huge one for me. I think that has really only been since our program, but, Uh um, what, what are like easiest ways for people to start bringing Ayurveda into our day-to-day life? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, first of all, I want to echo your idea about Dhinacharya. I think it is really important to have this, you know, ritual. Um, and fascinatingly enough, if I may, you know, we just did this, uh, I just did this yoga, uh, this Ayurveda training. And one of the students was asking, like, but, but why? It's like, but why am I doing all this? And, and why do I have to do it in this particular order? You know, she's just very curious about like, why do I have to do it like this? And, and you know, how is it going to serve me? And honestly, it serves you because if you look at the, if you look at the true Dhinacharya as it's listed in the Ayurvedic text, it is, it essentially takes you through a very slow wake up of all your senses. Mm. And that is something that we do not always do in the Western world. Because as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're all householders, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have children, you don't have a ton of time in the morning. If you have to get ready to work and, and get your children ready and get out the door and drop them at daycare and go to school or go to work, right? There's just so much. And before you know it, the whole day is gone and you are exhausted and you never had a chance to take a break mm-hmm. and to and- breathe. And it really is just as simple as those five senses. It's funny because that's actually the practice I do probably with my son the most. He's like, he like had a fit one night and I was like, oh, I'll just try this. Like, and we did this practice of, you know, what are five things you can see? What are four things you can hear? And he just like is obsessed with it. And he mostly only sees smells like his, this one stuffed animal of his, <laughs> but it's fine. Um, you know, we, we do this like really regularly and mm-hmm. it always gets me thinking about how, how little we do that even as adults, like to mm-hmm. take in the world around us and really like, how are we feeling in each of our senses? We're so really so disembodied as, you know, as humans, especially the ones in our culture. Mm-hmm. And I love Ayurveda as that grounding sense. And I love the relationship to the senses. There's also this idea of the tastes in our food, you know, having each of these tastes cultivated, which I think we hear now from other sources too, you know, there's like salt, fat, you know, it's like acid. And it's like, oh, this is like an ancient concept that's all right here (laughs) laid out as this. And it has real reasoning behind it that makes so much sense. And then it's funny because you'll see something like at Starbucks right now, they have this like, olive oil coffee that they're doing. Have you seen this? Okay. They are putting olive oil into their coffee. And then there was this like huge rise of, can you imagine what it is? It's like, 
it's, you know, indigestion that's be, that's occurring. And it's like, oh, well, like, yeah, duh. I mean, it's like, why would you put oil in coffee? Like, that's yeah. going to cause, you know, problems, <laughs> tits of problems, as they say. Um, and it's just been really interesting having this knowledge and then looking at the world around you, you start to see it um, played out over and over again. And you see it in yourself. But I do want to comment on, you know, there's this, uh, this idea of the doshas and that we have these doshas within ourselves. You know, I don't want to like distill it down to a quiz, but what is the best way that a person can sort of learn about their their doshas. Um, maybe you could even speak a little bit to these concepts of um, prakriti and vikriti as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so this idea of dosha um, is, again, they're laid out in the ancient texts that come from India. And they are really, you know, it's, a, it's about exploring who you are and not not having any shame around that, right? So, for example, you know, they're, the ancient texts, when they look at the doshas, even though, it's, even though the word dosha often translates as the word fault, it's mm. really not a fault. The, the texts look at these doshas as both being, having good qualities and uh, not so good qualities, right? But when they look at the dosha in total, it's about trying to figure out if you have too much of it or not enough of it, right? And so that's where that's where the balance starts to play out. And um, as I mentioned before, these three different doshas, vata, pitta, kapha, I think one way to look at them that, you know, might be um, a, a good way for people to understand is vata is cold, pitta is hot, and kapha is um, heavy heavy as in being grounded and having a good foundation, right? And mm -hmm. so any of these doshas can be in balance or out of balance. So if if vata is out of balance, then there's a lot of there's a lot of feeling of cold, right? You uh, are looking for things that are crunchy. You know, you're looking for that sparkling water and that popcorn throughout the day. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're more of a pitta person, you know, you're very direct, you're very organized. Um, if your pitta is a little out of balance, then you're the person who loves to put habanero hot sauce on everything that you eat, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or sitting outside in Austin, Texas right now, because mm -hmm. that's pretty hot. Um, you know, kappa um, has a lot to do with the earth um, element. And so there's going to be, if kappa is out of balance, there's a tendency, a tendency to be like lots of mucus and things like that, mm -hmm. right? And so that's one way to look at it. Um, and um, the idea of prakriti and vikriti is prakriti is how you were as an adolescent, because everyone between birth and puberty is really kappa. I mean, if you look at children, you know, they're generally have, you know, little cute little snotty noses and they're really chubby, <laughs> really chubby and they have their little rolls of fat. Right. Can That's confirm. <laughs> Those are all the good things of of Kappa. We all need that. And so when they turn to puberty, that's when the other elements sort of come into play. That's where manas or the mind comes into play and personality. 
And so that is your property. That's how you were born. And everything, it's like a funnel that pours into, into property, right? So all these elements that were happening when you were conceived, what was the weather like? What were your parents? What was their state of mind? Was it cold? Was it hot? Were, um, you know, were they in a bed? Were they on the floor? You know, all this comes into play because, again, it's mm. about the five elements. And all those trickle down into this funnel, and that becomes your property at the moment that you are an adolescent or you hit puberty. So anywhere between 12 to 14. And then what happens is, as you continue to move through life, because there's life cycles within Ayurveda as well, Mm. as you continue to move through life cycles, then you come across something that's called Vikriti. And that is what's going on in your life right now, right? And if you think about your life, there were times when you're constantly on the go. There are times when you maybe have already hit your stride and you know exactly what you're doing in your work and you can kind of kick back and, and you know, just go through your work day. And then as we get older, um, we're, we retire and then it shifts again, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is why Vikriti is important to look at because it will, it will throw you out of balance, so to speak, from that property state. Mm-hmm. And this is why the concept of little, little makes sense to me, because, you know, if you had coffee one morning and you had to do a presentation and you had to drive to Dallas to do that, and then you drove back from Dallas and you were really thirsty and you drank a really big cup of iced tea, when you get home, you're going to be totally jacked up. Right? <laughs> so that's what I mean by vicarity, right? It would that probably took you away from your property. So you bring in the opposite. You have a little cup of warm water, a little warm meal. Maybe you put some socks on and maybe you just sit for a little bit. This concept of of life cycles was something that um, really you more introduced me to than, you know, I've been studying Ayurveda for a few years before, you know, meeting you and working with you, but it's really kind of moved me to the next level. And one of the things, I think the life cycle thing is probably one of the things that's been most impactful because mm-hmm. really understanding that children are kappa and then we move into this pitta season of life. It's so easy to recognize in yourself. Cause I'm like, I, I don't think I was pitta. Why am I so pitta? What is the, you know, it's the hustle culture that everyone's referring to. And this, this phase of burnout, we call it burnout. Like yes. how crazy it's a fire. Um, and then, you know, as I'm also like, you know, heading into the age of, you know, being sort of like a wise woman, as they say, and moving through these, you know, seasonality of being a woman in general, um, but mm-hmm. moving into this phase where your bones get a little bit more brittle and you, you deal, you move into this Vata season of life. And I can sort of see my, even myself on the cusp of these changes and shifts and recognizing them. And also like, oh, that seems a little early for that change. And, um, And it's kind of because some of these imbalances and kind of bringing it back in, I think like, especially with women and hormones, I think like Ayurveda is really, really fascinating and beautiful. Um, And what it really calls to outside of just even these like huge life cycles is sort of the seasonal living even within like a year. Um, because Ayurveda is really about balancing yourself sort of, you know, it can really shift moment to moment. I've even taken, you know, I've checked on my property from like, 
a few months to a few months later and it's, mm-hmm. and it's, or not my property, my Vickerty, I should say my, and it's changed. And I'm like, Oh, I, I thought I was still here, but actually I've kind of shifted into this now. And I'm a little bit more, you know, Vata imbalance versus the Pitta imbalance. And, um, and, you know, as we go through the seasons of the year, it calls for, you know, Ayurveda a lot of times calls for almost these like moments of reset where people might eat kitchery or, you know, do something that's a little bit like cleansing, but what cleansing means in Ayurveda, which this is also so beautiful to me is it's really that, um, how you digest your food is how you digest life. Mm-hmm. And these concepts of, um, really, like settling your digestion and really focusing on bringing that back into balance. There's like tridoshic meals even, which are so beautiful, which means that they kind of, well, you can say better than I can, but speak to some of this, like the seasonality of things. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, this is something else that I really enjoy about Ayurveda. Like it's, um, it is seasonal, you know, in, um, in India, there's actually five seasons um, because they have a monsoon season, which Mm -hmm. we obviously don't have here in the United States, but there is um, the four seasons, you know, the four regular seasons, which be uh, winter, autumn, spring. Uh, Well, we only have summer here in Austin, so you'll have to help me remember. (laughs) Winter, fall, spring, and summer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's right. And I'm like, we only have a hellscape. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So those four seasons and Ayurveda even, you know, because your body changes when you come into the seasons, even though it's really still hot. Like yesterday, I remember stepping outside of the house and I thought, oh, it's different out here. Oh my gosh, Jenny, I had this too. I had this too just yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, something's up. It's time to shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Ayurveda looks at the space between the cycles, which is really seven days after a cycle starts and seven days before the the next cycle starts, right? So if you think about like between summer and uh, fall, right, Um, or spring and summer, right? So it takes into account those days. And what it does is it allows you to prepare to shift into the next season. And so it talks about those 14 days as really, you know, doing some self-care and eating things that are that are easy to digest, things like kitchery or having like a mono diet because that's what fasting is for Ayurveda. It's re- it's not about not eating, it's about eating food that is even easier to to digest. So mm-hmm. perhaps eating like dal that's been soaked overnight or eating rice that's been soaked overnight or having everything that's um, in a soup that has all the spices of the seven tastes in there, right? So Mm -hmm. that's what it's talking about. And then it even takes it a little deeper. It goes into something called Ekadashi, which talks about the same thing happening every month and and it ties in with the moon. So it ties wow. in with the full and the new moon. So mm-hmm. it's um, 11 days on either end of the full and the, the new moon. And during that time, it's also about ritual, right? So mm-hmm. you come away from foods that are rajasic or tamasic, and you really just go for foods that are more into that sophic idea. And there's prayer that's involved. There's community that's involved. There's specific meals that are involved. 
Um, and so that's, that's the beauty about Ayurveda as well is, yeah. is it's, it's also teaching you to spend time with your food because how many times have you caught yourself driving down the highway trying to eat a taco because that's all the time you have is a taco between oh, yeah so <laughs> often i i did my first ayurvedic uh consultation with somebody i guess a couple months ago and the two things that really stood out to me one was about um it was really just this concept of cultivating stillness. You know, I was like, oh, I like to do this practice because it's like a moving meditation. And they were like, where did you get the idea that you need to move while you meditate? And I was like, oh, oh you're right. Like, that's so true. Like, what a read. And then they also said, um, you know, as you eat, exactly like paying attention, eating mindfully, like making sure everything's kind of quiet and calm. And while you're cooking your food, like really imbuing that with this energy. And I'm somebody who I deeply love to cook. And I've really, really been trying to learn Ayurvedic cooking um, because one of the things that's so interesting about it is it's really like you're cooking in the present because you're eating the meal as you make it and you don't eat a lot of leftovers, which I'm like, great, because I actually don't love a lot of leftovers. So you're kind of making these little um, smaller batch cooking meals and um, and you're trying to make sure all these qualities are there with the foods and also that they are easy to digest. So like soaking lentils or, or kind of taking your time with these things. And it's just really interesting. Um, I love that that whole philosophy behind it. And also the seasonality of things that, you know, it's likely if it's going to get cold that your vata might, you know, jump up a little bit, like, and you might go a little out of balance. So eating these like warm and nourishing foods. And I think that's, that's so beautiful. And you just spoke to this concept that I'd like to, you to expound upon, which is the gunas, because they do really rule a lot of our choices in Ayurveda and in yoga as well. Um, so if you could kind of tell us a little bit about the gunas as well as um, things we can do to implement, you know, shifts in those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, also, the gunas are, are two different things or, you know, in my mind, how I explain them. There's there's the Mahagunas, which is this idea of Rajas, uh, Tamas, and Sattva. And then there's the 20 Gunas that are opposing. So those are things like hot, cold, dry, wet, liquid, sticky, dense, light. Uh, I know I'm going to forget some, but there's, you know, there's a total of, of 20 or 10 sets of them. And... Um, this is another way that you can also help balance your food and to help balance your life. Because if you think about, so I'm going to start with the 20 first, right? So if you mm. think about those, if you think, you know, you in the morning you wake up and, and you're a little, um, you know, you're not quite awake yet. Maybe it feels like there's a little heaviness in there. Then look at the opposite quality. It's light. Oh, how about I take in a little bit of just warm water right um so these these 20 sets of qualities or these gunas can really help balance you just throughout the day by looking at, at what's happening in your in your life right so that's a good way to balance everything like what you what you eat how you eat what you wear who you're around what you listen to and what you watch right because mm. i you know, I you, you couldn't pay me to watch a scary movie because that's just too much for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
So that's what I mean by those, those 20 qualities are really good to just kind of look at in your daily life. And then we have the Mahagunas, which this is, these are more, for me, they feel like more of a concept, right? So there is an idea of rajas or rajas or rajasic, right? This is food. If you think about food, this is food that has a lot of heat in it. It's food that's perhaps oily or fried. Um, food that just has um, a lot of a lot of energy in it. You know, it can change your state really quickly. Um, then there's tamas. So tamas are things that are really heavy. Um, again, coming back to that idea of fried foods. But if you think about fried foods that are cold, right? Like they even have an extra heaviness to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also think of them as like how they're grown in in connection to the ground. So tamasic foods are things that are like grown underneath the ground or very close to the ground. And if you think about rajasic foods, they're um, maybe about a foot to two to three feet above the earth. Mm-hmm. And then things, um, sattvic foods are things that are really closer to the sun. and you know, I often hear people talk about, oh, I want to eat more sattvic. But that's really kind of coming in at the concept on the on the back end of it. If you think about Rajas and Thomas and decreasing those, then mm. automatically sattva will lift on its own. Right? Oh, because you're taking yeah. away those things. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And one of the most fascinating things, too, is that you can shift the qualities of the food the way you cook, if you cook them certain ways. So like broccoli, you know, full of air, not great for vata, raw vegetables in general. Mm -hmm. And then if you maybe like really, you know, roasted it or added something to it that can, can sort of shift these qualities Mm -hmm. of the food. So it's like, we're thinking about, I remember a few years ago, I had this friend and she and I were like, just kind of getting into Ayurveda. And, um, she said something, she was like, I just, I've got, um, my vata is so out of control. You know, I've just been craving these things like potato chips. And I think it's because I just need to get grounded. And as I know now, it's like, no, you were craving was pointing you in the wrong direction. You need some just potatoes (laughs) with a lot of ghee. ghee. Yeah. Some oily potatoes, like not some, you know, fried, crispy, airy, fairy potato chips. And it's just really interesting to have that knowledge now. But at the time I was like, I don't know if that's right. Like I can't Mm -hmm. imagine that (laughs) Lay's are going to be, you know, very Ayurvedic, uh, bringing you into sattva, as they say. Um, But yeah, (laughs) what I love about it as well is that, you know, if, if you, if you think about nutrition and, and like diet in the, you know, in the Western world, it's very much about, um, not having right mm. or, or or not being able like you shouldn't eat this if this is what you're trying to do or you, you know i mean how many times have we heard the world flip-flop on fat you yeah know, don't eat fat yes eat fat don't eat fat yes eat fat right what ayurveda is saying is pay attention to your dosha and eat how your dosha is right mm-hmm. and that means that you necessarily don't have to eliminate anything from your diet you can change how you prepare it and that will help support your dosha. Mm -hmm. And even better than that, if you decide today you want to eat 
a cheese pizza with a side of fried macaroni and cheese, then <laughs> guess what? Tomorrow morning you wake up and you make some kitchery and you eat that for three days and it resets your system. Now, yes. I'm not saying that's, you know, it's like it, you don't, don't get the concept of like a yo-yo diet there. But yeah, yeah. Um, it's not a binge restrict thing. Exactly. But I, but I know what you mean, especially mm-hmm. like kitchen. It's just these really healing foods um, yes. that are that are not, but you know, it is still so interesting because it is this, like, there are these ideas of these little resets and kind of, mm-hmm. but I love that you're still eating. They're not resets where you're really not eating. But right. I do want to say Ayurveda does have these elements of fasting or meal times or eating and taking mm-hmm. breaks between meals, eating your biggest meal in the middle of the day when you're digestive fire, which this is really my one of my favorite Ayurvedic concepts. I'm like deeply obsessed with the concept of your digestive fire and Agni. Um, it's right up there with my daily ritual Dinacharya. <laughs> so I I really love this concept, but it's this idea of sort of stoking that fire, but not too much and not too little and sort of making it this just right. But um, you do have these times where you maybe don't eat as much or you don't necessarily snack. You eat, you know, your meal. It's it's just really interesting. But speak a little bit to the concept of Agni and the digestive fire. Yeah, I'm like you. I really love Agni. I mean, there's there's just you know if there's a there's a measure there's a measurement in India called an angli, which is really the width of the top of your your hand where the index finger is to the bottom of your hand, right? And so the Agni lives about one angli above your navel, and you know, so I always think about there being like a little flame there for me. And my flame during the pizza time, which is, you know, during that, that day, uh, daytime from like 11 to 3, right? That's when my flame is the highest. And sometimes, you know, if I'm feeling like my Agni is not working so great, I will sit and imagine that my little flame is just a little higher before I eat my meal, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one way I, I, kind of like Agni. But if you think about Agni as being that little flame, and then think about what you put on your Agni. Okay, so let's say, you know, I'm I'm sure all of us have been outside and we've had a campfire campfire in some way, shape or form. So think about that fire. And then think about what it would be like if you put a bunch of cold, wet, newspaper on top of it. Think what it would do to the fire. And now think about that same fire if you put a bunch of dried wood on it. Mm. And now think about that same fire and think what would it be like if you put like a a lot of um cold uh frozen wood on that fire, right? Each one will give you a different outcome. And that's essentially how you should think about your Agni. What are you putting on your fire? Is it stoking your fire? Is it stoking it too much? Or is it not stoking it enough? Mm. And that's the easiest concept for me to think about. It's like, okay, what am I putting? You know, am I having a bowl of cereal Mm -hmm. and then drinking um, an iced coffee with it? That's going to put a lot of cold on my Agni. You know, as I'm hearing you, what it really does, and this is like the true beauty of it, is it really internalizes, as it should be, an internal process to, you know, 
there's this concept of like the call of hunger, like answering mm-hmm. to the call of hunger. And I think so many of us now don't even know when we're hungry. We think, mm-hmm. oh, we have to eat this and do this because this is going to yield this result. And the result is very external and it isn't necessarily going to make you healthier. Um, especially there's all these, like you said, dietary things that change 24 seven, but this idea of thinking about your fire and what is needed in that moment to nourish it. Um, you know, it really is kind of from one meal to the next, it can shift and change, but it really causes this sort of mindfulness that I think so often escapes us when it comes to food specifically. I think like we, it's something we really struggle with, um, as a culture. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I just, that's why I love that concept of Agni. I love that, that what you just said, where you just gave these ideas of it. I think that will really stick with the listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so like, what are, what are some, some of the struggles somebody might typically find themselves in getting into when they first show up to Ayurveda? Mm, yeah. Um, I, you know, what happens generally is because it all sounds so good, you know, <laughs> yeah. conversation, right? We're like, Oh, Agni, Oh, Dina Chari. Oh, you know, <laughs> taste, right? Like we want to bring everything. Cause that's also the Western world, you know, yeah. we, we made a comment about it. Like it's, it's the, it's the hurry up place. Though those aren't the words you use, but right, like mm. it's the hustle. That's what you mm-hmm. call it, right? Mm-hmm. We're taught that from a very young age. Like you've got, you got to hustle if you want to make something happen for yourself, right? And so we try to put everything in at one time, and that is just going to cause a lot of frustration. Mm-hmm. So I think the easiest way to do it is again, I'm going to come back to my little phrase: a little, little. Right. Mm-hmm. So you start with something for the body, because when the body feels the difference, it relays it to the mind and the mind goes, hmm. So I'm going to think about this next time I'm drinking this half gallon of ice water and it makes my belly really cold and then it makes it hurt. Oh, I'm going to think about that next time around. Right. Mm-hmm. So, as you know, I'm going to give you sort of like my top five. Um, Scraping your tongue. This goes mm-hmm. back to the Dini and Chavia. Buy a tongue scraper. Scrape your tongue either once or twice a day from the back to the front. It sounds crazy, but it will change your life. <laughs> it's life changing. Life changing. It really is. Yeah. It gives you energy, not to mention that it's just super hygienic for your mouth. Oh, yeah. It's you- like, what was I doing before? It's sort of the, <laughs> the worry here. Exactly. Yeah. So scrape your tongue, depending on your dosha, drink a cup of either hot, warm, or room temp um, cup of water in the morning. It will help your bowel movements, right? Ayurveda loves to have a good, healthy bowel movement, and Mm -hmm. we should all really be having one at least once a day. Again, Mm -hmm. it's dependent on the dosha, right? Yes. So cup of hot water. If you can, come away from iced water. It doesn't matter if you're vata, pitta, or kapha. It really makes a difference if you can just drink room temp water. Pay attention to the seasons, right? And and um, dress for those seasons. Like, don't be afraid to put a scarf around your neck when it's windy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you were out and about yesterday, it was really windy there for a while. Yeah, so odd. (laughs) So weird. (laughs) It was strange. Yeah. And then use spices in your food. Mm. Right? Because that's the best way to get all six flavors, all six six tastes or rasas 
in your food and that will help keep um it, it'll help keep the cravings um and i'm gonna add a, i'm gonna add another one in there but this yeah. is just for observation um notice what you're craving mm. and notice I, what you've been eating prior to those cravings that's a big one that's been mm-hmm. the biggest shifter for me i think is because mm-hmm. if you're not paying attention well, then you're not paying attention. Um, and it does, like I said, it requires this internal landscape of noticing things within yourself that before you just were mindlessly doing. Mm-hmm. And I love that it's so imbued in the practice of the eating. Like you you can't really do this without taking stock of your cravings. Mm-hmm. And so um, what are your favorite like Ayurvedic resources, shops, books, courses, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of us are very... Um, you know, we're, this is, it's, it's the age of Google, right? So mm. I'm, I'm going to go Google first. Okay. There are a couple of websites that I really, that, um, are, are, um, managed by, um, Ayurveda's Ayurvedic people from India. And the first one is, uh, easy Ayurveda. Uh, his name is Dr. Hepner. He has a lot of really great, interesting things on his website. Um, another website that's actually here in Austin is, um, Narayana. They have, um, she has some uh, blogs and very interesting things on her website as well. And, um, there is another one from, um, San Antonio living well. Hmm. Um, and as far as books go, if Dr. Lod, um, has a really great little book, Uh, about Ayurveda that kind of leads you through Ayurveda. It's a really nice little book. And uh, Frawley, David Frawley, if you have anything around him, is also good. So these are are kind of people I go to. Um, Banyan Botanicals also has a pretty comprehensive website. Um, This is just my own thing. Sorry, Banyan Botanicals. But I think they tend to be a little more Western in their thinking. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it can seem a little prescriptive, I think, at times. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that's what it is, but I've definitely used some of their products. So, oh, same. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you had introduced me to one. I think it was like, it's like Moppy is the um, website. Yes. yes. And it's like Maharishi is the is the actual name of the the yes. website, but it's mm-hmm. um, com, and they they have some really cool stuff. That's a cool great, website. Really great stuff. Yeah, and Dr. Lads um, also online. Um, Ayurveda Institute. They have some wonderful products on there as well. Oh, okay, cool. I don't think I've I've looked at that. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, and last but not least, we're gonna do a little quick fire if you'll humor me. Okay. So this will be interesting because I feel like all of these are very Ayurvedic too. I ask, I've been asking everybody, but okay. So your favorite time of day? Uh, six o'clock in the morning. Yes, me too. <laughs> um, okay, favorite morning beverage? Um, CCFT. <laughs> oh, so let, let's tell everybody what that is. Let's tell everybody what it is. <laughs> CCMT is a combination of uh, cumin, coriander, and fennel seeds, and you mix them all together and you make a tea out of it. And in, in Ayurveda, uh, it helps to balance all the doshas. And, you know, now that you say it, literally, I think I've been drinking a cup of CCFT every day for about five years now. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I take it in little tea bags with me when I travel. 
It's funny because long before I knew about Ayurveda, I had read it on like a Goop blog about this tea. And I was like, I'll try this. Like it was the start of a new year, but I loved it. And I, and my mm-hmm. husband, he doesn't really love cumin or which I was like, why? Like um, his family's from Mexico. So I was like, why don't you love cumin? But he's like, no. And I love it. I li- I'm like something about that I find just like really grounding and, um, and delicious. Okay. Mm-hmm. So favorite, let's see, um, favorite meal. Favorite meal, um, like time of day. Okay, so this is an interesting thing. I realized only recently that I've never differentiated if it's like what is your favorite thing to eat, or if it's like lunch, dinner, breakfast, or snacks. And so um, you could say either. Like, if you have a favorite thing to eat, please share. Or if you have like a favorite time of day that's like your favorite time to eat, please share. Yeah, I think mine sort of rolls into one. Right, I love breakfast. And it's funny because I don't, you you know, like I just have a little, like I'll have some broth or something around eight, but my big meal is like 11, 1130, sometimes 1040, if I'm really hungry, but I love breakfast mm. and I love to eat breakfast any time of the day. So I could have breakfast for, for dinner or lunch or for breakfast if I wake up really hungry one day. So mm-hmm. yeah, breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Breakfast or dinner. That's a real thing. Like my kids mm-hmm. act like I've done something really spectacular when it's <laughs> breakfast for dinner. And I'm always like, great. Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay. Here's one. Bath or shower? No shower. Shower. Most people are shower, I think. I'm a bath <laughs> person, but I'm also like, that That makes sense too. Um, okay. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Early bird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then currently reading? I am currently reading <laughs> I'm, you know, this is me. I'm currently reading a Mudra book. Oh, yes. <laughs> M- Mudras are beautiful. They are. They are. And I, They're I really fascinating. love this one. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mudras are, for those who don't know, um, Mudras are sort of like yoga of the hands and you can do different... Um, you can do different hand positions. I'm sure you've probably like seen it in a, you know... You've probably seen it somewhere where somebody's like sitting cross-legged with their hands with holding a mudra, but um, they're really amazing. And when you learn like the meanings behind them, I do think it's like a really fascinating course of study. So I'm all here. Tell us what you learned. Share what you learned. And uh, lastly, please tell us where we can find you. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, I have a website, um, corazonyoga.com. And um, you can also find me, uh, I'm currently doing some um, different trainings throughout um, the year. Um, I also have a monthly talk. It's called the Sangha Talk. Sangha is something Sanskrit is community. Um, last week we spoke about patience and acceptance. Mm. And so those are also connected on my website. And I do teach virtually twice a week as well. And um, yeah, you can also find me if you're interested in Ayurveda or interested in yoga therapy on my website. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Jenny. It was so lovely getting to chat with you. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. For more everyday magic, as well as show notes, you can head over to homebodyyoga.com backslash everyday magic, or you can follow me on Instagram at homebody, B-O-D-H-I, yoga. 